It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Welcome to the show. Um, Talent Talk is uh, you know, really designed for us to have a great conversation, um, and that's really what we're going to do here today with uh, two awesome guests that we have uh, lined up for today's show. Uh, in case this is you know the first time you've tuned in, or maybe you haven't tuned in in a while, and I've kind of forgotten you know kind of what we're trying to do here. It's really to hopefully learn from those people who are uniquely talented, from those people who have uh, specific uh, expertise around managing talent. Uh, that we can learn from, right, both as individuals and as how we can take this back to our teams as leaders and to go back and, and maybe improve as leaders, improve as people. And I'm always looking for these types of people to have these conversations with. And somewhere along the, wrong, along the way, we had this idea of, well, why not do it on the radio? Why not share it with everybody else instead of it just being me who's having these conversations one-on-one with people and trying to pick their brain and figure out what they're really focused in on? You know, we've had so many amazing stories that I threw a lot of them into my first book, The Power of Company Culture. Uh, I'd love to have you check that out if you're interested in some of the most, uh, you know, kind of telling stories that we've gotten from big you know, companies like Southwest and GM and, and Google and uh, and so on. And, and really looking at what are the specific things that the best companies are consistently doing. Um, but we continue to gather new stories, and we do those every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, if you want to choo- choose to tune in live. But, you know, most of you come in after the fact. You find us on one of the podcast apps or iTunes or iHeartRadio, Stitcher, wherever it may be, and you'll, you know, maybe even Podbean, and you listen to us after the fact. And we really appreciate that. There's over 10,000 of you a day popping in, listening to a show uh, and engaging with us and and my guests, and we really are uh, appreciative to everyone who's doing that. We are also doing uh, live tweeting. So uh, while the show goes live, my uh, social media maven Sarah is actively putting the best quotes, uh, links to books, links to sites, anything that our guests may be mentioning that's worth uh, repeating. We throw it up there. So go to at PeopleG2 on Twitter. You can follow us there. You can follow the hashtag Talent Talk, all one word. And you'll be able to sort of see what's going on. And even if you're kind of coming after the fact, after the live show has been taped, that's okay. You can still find it all right there by going to, to Twitter. So my uh, first, my guest today, let's talk about who's on the show, um, is uh, we're kind of bringing back in a veteran of the show, someone who's been on before. And we'll get to that in a second. But Margie uh, Rodino, we're going to find out what's going on with her. She's uh, the founder of a business consulting firm, which is a bit of a change from the last time she was here. It's called, uh, I think it's called Cheney Pearl, if I'm saying that correctly. And then we're going to bring in up the commercial break, Matthew Patty, CEO of 
Inversal Academy, and uh, we're excited to have him on and learn more about him. But let's go ahead and get to my first guest, uh, Margie. Welcome back to the show. Thanks so much, Chris. It's so nice to be here again. Yeah, so why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself. What do you do? I mean, before I know you were Sloan, and so now you've kind of moved on. So kind of give us the update on you and what you're doing and what's important for us to know for our conversation today. Sure, absolutely. Um, so I started a consulting business in, uh, in 2017, and the really primary focus has been around helping individuals and not-for-profits and firms create their business and personal vision. And then from that, you know, creating an executable strategy, which then has to be cascaded throughout the organization. So a lot of the work is really centered around human resources strategy, people strategy, that really aligns with a vision that the business has decided on. And I think some of that, you know, comes from working with employees on up but just really putting together a solid strategy really will lead to far better outcomes. Right now, I happen to be working with a not-for-profit, uh, local not-for-profit in Waukegan called the Roberti Community House. And um, RCH, their mission is to serve and empower underserved individuals in Lake County. And it's been really fascinating because the not-for-profits have just a big, as big a struggle as the rest of us in defining our vision and then really developing a solid strategy to follow. Yeah, and, and that's really, really, um, you know, I guess important for, for people to think about. And I think a lot has changed since you've, you've been on the show. I think back, which has been five years now. I mean, certainly a lot has happened and a lot is going on. So, you know, is there particular advice that now you're in this more of a focused role in consulting? What are you kind of talking to leaders about? What are you focusing on them, what they should be thinking about today? I think that, that I would say the most important thing for 2020 in, in my um, experience and what I'm mostly talking about with uh, leaders of an organization is this vision. You know, you might have had a vision that you created when you originally started your business and you really haven't revisited it. And let's face it, the external pressures, I mean, you look at what's happening with the coronavirus and you say to yourself, you know, there are lots of companies that are really pivoting from, you know, well, what am I going to do now? You know, I, I can't host this event I was planning on hosting. Nobody's showing up. Um, you know, supply chains are cut. So really, really building a very strong vision that you're really keeping in front of your employees. So... Once you've got the vision that you think is important, you've got to be killing it with communication. So many visions are just dead in the water because they're not appropriately cascaded down. So your staff is working on things that really are important to the vision, and they're not important to the outcomes of where you are headed. You know, if you're a water conservation company, your projects, you all need to be rowing in the same direction. So making sure that, that that vision is concrete and that you've started to really build that vision from the bottom up with your employees, you've got to really just show that you can cascade that down and build a strategy around it because that's what, that's what gets employees excited. That's how we get better business outcomes. Yeah, and, and in that communication, too, I think there's a big part in there to get buy-in. 
right? So if you have a vision um, as a leader, it's really important to get it out there and to talk about it. But you may also need to be open to the fact that maybe your vision isn't perfect yet. Maybe it's not quite there. And those people around you might be able to help you articulate it better, make some small change or pivot to make it you know, really, really um, effective in the marketplace as opposed to, geez, I'm the CEO, here's my vision, you guys all now just get in line and, and, and execute it. So so where do we kind of have, where's that, I guess maybe in that vision process, where do you sort of bring in people for, to, to kind of help you have that buy-in? I think you, you hit it on the, nailed it on the head. I think that, you know, the difference nowadays is you've got to have that small group mentality. You've really, you know, you got to move off these employee engagement surveys where, we're not even sure that, that employees have really reported the data appropriately. But start having these informal sessions with employees that do exactly what you're saying, Chris, build the buy-in. You gotta hear from the employees. They're not gonna you're not gonna get buy-in if they really haven't voiced an opinion. So if there's no formal way of collecting all that. So you have these, these informal pods throughout your organization. You've got to have a formal mechanism to pull them all together and get all that feedback. Make sure that it is going right back up the ladder. Because in the organizations I've been over the last 35 years, the most valuable information you're going to receive is from those first-line employees. They're the ones seeing what's happening in the manufacturing firm. They know what's going on. They're the ones that are saying, hey, this equipment is just not running. You guys can tell me till I'm blue in the face that it's the right piece of equipment. It's not delivering the results that we need. We're, we're running it every day. So it's really important for us as leaders to really be listening, but to be listening in, in a much more down-to-earth manner than sending out an engagement survey. Yeah. And I've seen this so often with especially companies that maybe get purchased by or have some sort of VC money or maybe there's an acquisition and suddenly somebody starts running the company by a spreadsheet, you know, and they're like, well, if we just tinker, if we do this and, you know, X and then Y, and then we'll just get more output here. And no one ever bothers to go and talk to that frontline person to say, you know, if we do more of this or less of that, well, what are you seeing? How will this that going to impact things? And ultimately, I mean, 99% of the time I've seen when they sort of start tinkering that way without ever talking to anybody, uh, they always fall on their face. They always have you know, lackluster results. And then and then my sort of, uh, I guess, observation is then they start losing talent, really yeah, good talent, yeah. people who've been there a long time, people who know what's going on, people who have real institutional knowledge. It, have you seen that type of scenario happen as well on, on your end, if, at now, whether it's through your, your work or through your consulting? Absolutely. If, if we are not paying attention to the needs of the employees, I mean, if you, if you think that, that the talent wars, you know, well, we're still in the talent wars, well, there are no talent wars left. The talent war is over and employees won. The retention is really what's critical now. Employees, they, they, they exactly know where they want to be. They want to be where, where these solutions are being designed by them. They want the input. They want to be able to, uh, you know, address the highest priorities through their own creativity. They want to be bringing things back, and they also want to know that they're connected. Um, you know, when we talk about the, the vision, the, the number one thing, 
that, you know, there was a a study done many, many, many years ago by a gentleman named Frederick Herzberg, and it was about motivating employees. And this study has been reprinted by the Harvard Business Review at least twice. And basically, he describes the difference between what he calls hygiene factors and what he calls motivating factors. And he goes into great length about Hygiene factors are things like compensation, and they're things like work status or um, job satisfaction. The things that employees want that they're really striving for, these motivation factors, are achievement, their recognition. So tying whatever projects that they're working to to that vision gives them that sense of achievement. So if they don't know what that big picture is, those are the employees you're losing. They aren't as, you know, granted, compensation is important. You know, we'd be foolhardy to say that you're not going to pay employees appropriately. But paying someone appropriately avoids a job dissatisfaction. It doesn't necessarily increase motivation. And so making sure that they're part of of the big picture is part of making sure you can retain them. Because that's why we're losing them. We're losing them because they want a sense of, of uh, connectivity, a, a part of a bigger thing, you know, sustainable things. And that's really the direction we need to be moving in as leaders. Yeah, and I've always taken, you know, kind of Daniel Pink's work to heart. You know, you pay people enough that you take that off of the table, right? You're not underpaying them and you're certainly not, uh, you know, paying them such ridiculous amounts that, you know, they which is tied to some level of performance they could never get. But you know, you're sort of paying them appropriately, as you mentioned. But then, you know, we've really focused in on how do we get people more autonomy? How do we help them with mastery? How do we really become experts at what they do? And how do we tie them to our purpose? And usually, I mean, that takes care of like 90% of, of everything that I see that it comes to engagement. If people have those things in their life. And there's other things you can do to definitely make it better, to definitely make your company become a top, maybe top in your industry or top 5%, you know, company but it just if you're an average company who's who's okay with doing pretty good, I've always found if you do those things at least, you have a pretty happy workforce and you're doing pretty well. You know, but are, are there other other things that you kind of think we should focus in on? Um, you know, outside of that, that it kind of goes goes beyond that. Is like a two version of that. Yeah, I think that I think the other thing, you know, uh, America's run by small and middle sized companies. Now, granted. There are a lot of large organizations and Fortune 500 companies, but the, the meat of the organizations are small and mid-sized companies. Mm-hmm. Many of those companies lack a clear employer brand. Who are we and who are we trying to be? So those are the same exact companies trying to attract from the larger entities like the Apple or the Google. So when you're looking at really trying to define yourself when you're in that space of the small or mid-sized corporation, you've got to really have a clear employer brand. You know, what are we doing? Who is it that we want to be? Um, there's a company, and I haven't done any work for this company, quite frankly. I've just um, been exposed to them repeatedly, and it's a company in Minnesota called 12 Consulting. And there's, you know, they're a small tech firm. They they uh, work with, they do software technology, software application for a larger um, 
financial package called Anaplan. But they're constantly doing innovative things for their employees. You know, one, one day it's Wellness you know, Wednesday. The next time it's, you know, Culture Friday. Um, it's, it's normal for them to live what they're saying. They say they have unlimited vacation. You talk to anyone there, and they say that their executives live that. You get your work done. You do what you're supposed to do. I mean, that's, a, that's an example of having a brand where you're not really anybody, really, to the outside world. You're 50 employees, but you've created your own employer brand, and people are going to come there. You know, you, you might be able to get somebody from the Apple or the Google that you want because right. that's the, the environment you're building. Yeah, and that's really important. And I think it's a great lesson to learn or people to realize that even if you aren't some big giant company, at whatever level you are, you can make a really big impact by, you know, doing what you say you're going to do, coming up with a unique proposition from a brand, you know, employer branding standpoint, and then and then doing a great job of, which is the first thing you started talking about today, communicate it. And talk about it. Get it out there so people know what you're doing because this is a big problem. You might be doing some of the best things in the world for your employees, but if no one knows about it, then no one's thinking about your organization to come and work for them. And maybe if you're a an organization who's in, like you said, Minnesota or some specific place, you don't maybe need to share with everybody. You certainly need to share with the talent pool that it could come and work for you, wherever you may be, if, if, you, if you're in a single location or if you're remote, wherever you want to be at. So, um, That's exactly yeah, I, right. And I think you, you bring up another good point, um, Chris, that I think is really important for employers to understand the agility that you have to have today for organizations, what you just brought up on, you know, the flexibility, you really need to be able to accept employees from anywhere in the country. Figuring out ways. Now, now, clearly you can't do that in a lot of environments. I've worked for a lot of manufacturers. You know, I, I need somebody on the plant floor. But for those other positions, traditional HR, IT, sales positions, do you really have to be in the corporate office? Or can you be at home or wherever you want to spend your time? And those are the kinds of things that are going to retain our employees because we've come up with very innovative ways to address their needs. Well, and uh, you know, you're certainly uh, you have a uh, um, someone who definitely agrees with that here. I mean, my company is 100% remote. We have 35 full timers around the country and 3,000 independent contractors. So we're constantly working inside of this idea of remote. And for us, it's fantastic. We can hire people anywhere. If we, you know, need to get a great person, but we don't have, we can't spend the money that maybe we. We would have to just here in Orange County or in LA, where which is sort of where I'm located. I can get that same great person in Boise, Idaho, or somewhere else for less money because the cost of living is different. There's so many great strategies to be able to to work remote. And to your point, yeah, in manufacturing, there are examples. There are certainly companies where a some bit of those employees or that company may not be able to be remote. But I, I that's actually going to be the title for my next book. We'll be talking about you know this remote revolution and how many organizations may end up moving to that. Uh, we're certainly seeing it a lot, and some of that really is addressing the the sort of wave of, of generational change. When we have so many baby boomers retiring every day, I think it's the last thing I heard, 2025, we're expected to have 75% of the workforce to be millennials. So how do you see us as employers addressing that change? 
Oh, my gosh. I think that the number one thing is one size does not fit all. I think that we are so used to coming up with standardized programs for everything, consistency, you know, let's face it, we have so much compliance and governance around employment, but you really, really have to be agile. You've got to come up with ideas. You know, someone who's 80 years old that you highly value for some level of expertise does not want to sit underneath the fan that's blowing cold air all day. You've got to know when to just make a change, make a move. You know, you've got uh, millennials, as you said, and uh, Generation Z and, you know, all of these new players coming in. All their needs are different. So being agile and knowing that you just have to be, you know, the old just-in-time, you know, just-in-time. Yes, have just-in-time solutions. Don't be mired in you know, I've been an HR professional for 35 years, but I'm a business person first. My job is to make sure that the business is profitable. It's not to make sure that I'm, you know, complying with every single thing that could ever come down by the government because it, there's no way. I can't even keep up with it. So really being agile and really having the ability to stress that you've got to move with Whatever's coming in and whatever those desires are, as you said, whether it's a baby boomer, whether it's the 16-year-old that you're just bringing into the, to the assembly line, you've got to know, you know, the needs are different. Oh, okay, we can't have a supervisor tell them, no, I'm sorry, you can't have a phone break. They live on their phone. Right. You know, we, we've got <laughs> to change the policies. They live on their phone. So, you know, yeah, um, we got to make changes just now, right in the immediate moment. Absolutely. Well, I mentioned that I was writing a book, and I think I heard you might be writing a book. We're, before we're out of time here, I want to make sure I find out what uh, you're planning on writing. Sure. Um, so I am working, I'm co-authoring a book with my husband, who is also an HR professional. So that the two, between the two of us, you know, we're not quite that old, but we have 70 years of experience in the human capital space. And one of the topics that we feel um, is really, really difficult right now for individuals and executives is decision-making. And so we're working on a book that is tied to, you know, how are you making decisions that really are focused on the vision and values that you say you want to live? So it's been, it's been quite an interesting journey. We're, you know, probably a third of the way through um, the content. We've got our concepts down, but... Boy, Chris, I give you a lot of credit. It is really difficult to write. For all those writers out there, I have just a newfound appreciation. It's, it's really difficult. It's really difficult to solidify your thoughts on different topics and then research them so that you're really giving your constituents or the people that you want to really attract some really good information. Right. Well, I said I would never write another one until someone talked me into writing one with them. So the uh, idea of only having to do half the work somehow sucked me back in. I mean, it was it was hard <laughs> to do. It's hard to get it all out there and to for it to and to be something that you're proud of that you want that you hope people will actually want to read. So good luck, and I'm a, I'm really excited to, to be able to read it uh, when you're done. But how can people get a hold of you? How can they find out more about you and your business? Can you give them all that information here before we run sure. out of time? Sure, absolutely. Um, 
we I'm in the middle of transitioning Cheney Pearl Inc. to a company called To Discern Inc. And so we are we are currently working on our website, so it's not live yet. So you can directly reach me at Margie M A R G I E dot Rodino R O D I N O at gmail dot com. And as soon as we release our new website, we will be sharing that with you. Well, fantastic. I'm sure they can find you on LinkedIn. And we would love to have you come back when you have uh, all that ready and your book ready, and we can talk about that. But uh, thank you so much for being back on the show with me today. Thanks so much, Chris. I really enjoyed it. Take care. We're right back after this quick commercial. I'm bringing on my second guest, Matthew Patty. Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months. And the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system, or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. In case you missed my first guest, uh, Margie Rodino, you can listen to her interview on our podcast. Uh, go to talenttalkradio.com uh, and subscribe there under uh, the Podbean or find us on iTunes. You can subscribe there or Stitcher or wherever you find your podcast. As soon as that becomes live, we will certainly uh, post that. It'll be up. And we also post it on Twitter. So if you follow me, Chris P. Dyer, or at PeopleG2 on uh, Twitter. You can also get alerted there. So really excited to bring in uh, my next guest. Don't forget we are live tweeting this. If you have a question, if you have a comment, if you want to be a part of the conversation, to go there now on Twitter and uh, be a part of that. The hashtag is Talent Talk. But my second guest is uh, Matthew Patty. He's the CEO of Interversal Academy, and we'll find out more about what that is as soon as you bring him in. So, Matthew, welcome to the show. Hey, Chris. Great Great to be here. Yeah, so why don't you tell them a little bit about yourself, what's important for us to know about you, what you're doing, your work, uh, so that we have some context here. Well, pretty much, um, you know, I grew up in Australia. I'm actually in San Diego right now. My big thing is uh, is really about getting in front of coaches, consultants, and digital entrepreneurs, uh, helping them to achieve greater focus, stability, and revenue in the next 90 days by, by really just becoming hypervigilant. So I've got a key set of skills and tools that I've acquired over the last 25 years in entrepreneurship, building various size companies and businesses and launching products. And yeah, I love the work and I love seeing the light come on in in entrepreneurs and, and coaches' eyes when things finally shift into gear and become aligned. Well, and you're a long way from home, so how did you end up in San Diego? Well, it's the end of a five-week tour, so you know I've been doing the last five weeks through Denver and Toronto and Indianapolis running one-day intensives and uh, then just building networks on the ground, collaborating, connecting with people like you and I that are out there in the world doing great things. And 
you know, enjoying every moment of it. I'm glad we could catch you while you were in the same time zone. But maybe we could kind of start the conversation around, you know, how do you encourage people to strengthen their personal and professional leadership skills without, I guess, that kind of fear of, of stepping on, uh, on other people's toes? Yeah, that's, uh, I love this question for, for this reason, is when we assume responsibility and accountability for the direction and the outcomes of our life, so we, we assume and take on and embody personal leadership, then quite quickly the first question we should be asking is what is it that we want to experience? So we need to get really, really clear whether we're in, um, in a career ascension phase, whether we're in a career building phase, whether we've got our own business. We want to jump from working for someone else to working for ourselves. So we must become really, really clear. So leadership starts at home. It starts on the inside, which is what Universal is all about. It's the inner game that's important. You know, quite often when you ask someone what is it that they want to achieve or experience, what's their end, what's their end goal, they might be a little bit wishy-washy, a little bit flaky, because, you know, there's this permission-based narrative that's running inside people's minds that, well, I don't want to say it out loud in case someone else hears me and poo-poos it or knocks it down. And most importantly, I don't really want to define it specifically because I don't want to be let down myself if it doesn't come to pass. So I don't want to get my hopes up because, you know, in leadership, we actually find ourselves going, uh, bringing our past experiences with us. And they're not always observed as lessons. They Sometimes we're still right in the middle of it, you know? So yeah, and, to, and, uh, and we bring those, bring... sometimes those experiences with us. And, you know, that's just, that's just the, I guess that's what we know, right? It's what we've experienced, which is not always what everybody else has learned or what everyone else has experienced. You know, one of the things that I, I, we consistently hear uh, from leaders is there, you can kind of pick up on is that there's a certain amount of loneliness in, in becoming a leader. Sort of the farther up the, the, the line you go, uh, the closer you get to being the, the CEO, I mean, it, it becomes harder and harder to find those those times to connect and those times to, to, to fill away. And there's an entire you know, business around uh, Vistage groups and all of that around trying to help leaders become less lonely. So well, what are some of the tools that you suggest to help people kind of remain aligned and connected and even inspired by their work? Yeah, love it too. Love that question. The uh, And I, I hear this a lot too. So at the pointy end of the pointy end, you know, it, it is, number one, it's hard to find the time. And that really is a narrative that does have some facts uh, supporting it. So, you know, they're very busy growing tribes or leading businesses leading families, those sort of things. Um, and apart from stepping outside of the company, your own company, your own business, or even the, the position, the executive team or the leadership team that you're a part of, and getting a fresh approach to different narratives. So what I like to do is I like to go outside of my niche. I go into different networks and different environments because invariably there is a common thread that runs amongst all leaders and when you get past the superficiality of industry niche and, and you know, norms and, and, and language, then you can actually get to the person. And the person is, is really just like you and me, which is, you know, maybe have a family, maybe they've got some personal goals and quests and, and, uh, and ideals that they want to pursue. 
So reading is really important, engaging in different types of conversation outside of your network, outside of your, your niche. Reading um, really, I guess, fires off new new uh, neurons as well. So as we're requiring or uh, firing new neurons, upwards of 1,400 every time we learn something new, then we can bring that in as a, as a mini innovation into the way that we deliver our message, support our team, or, can, uh, or conduct ourselves in, in business as well, which can sort of take the edge off, I don't know how to apply what I do in my personal life with my professional life. And I think that's where the leadership um, gap and void actually comes, because we've got to try and wear two hats all the time. So the key is right in the middle, which is what I help my people do, is to become the single embodiment of your highest expression, your highest potential. And no matter where you go, whoever you interface with, and whatever you're creating or uh, challenge you're your, uh, transcending, you're actually the, the one giant potential that is moving in and out of, the, of different environments so you don't have to change hats all the time. You know, sometimes I have to kind of step back and remind myself, you know, most of the people that are listening to this program, they are they're leaders, they're, they're people who are passionate about learning more about their, their, their abilities or jobs and, the, and how to lead people better. But they aren't maybe necessarily all CEOs or senior level people, even though I'm a senior level person, I'm a CEO, and I have people on the, uh, on the show that are, are kind of fit that. And so we're, we're kind of talking about things that are very relevant to us. But you know, when we kind of go back, a lot of the people are in, in various different parts of their job. And, and, and often when you're kind of climbing that ladder, you're in those different roles, you know, you, you, you have to try to bring a certain amount of passion, a certain amount of purpose to your job. You have to kind of bring the right energy, even if your job isn't the perfect fit for you, even if it, you have maybe some doubts about whether this is going to be the long-term place for you. But do you have some suggestions on what, you know, sort of the average leader can really think about and, and be doing to, to really hone in on that passion and purpose part of their job? Yeah, definitely, definitely. I, again, Chris, everything starts with the self. So whatever moves you forward, whatever lights you up, ignites you, sets you on fire, um, that's what essentially you should be bringing into your workspace. Now, it could be, you know, you're very creative um, in an illustrative sense, or you're a good orator or speaker, or you, you love music and those sort of things. So although it's not pound for pound, music for music, bringing the enthusiasm that you have into the workplace is all about filling your cup first. And so at the beginning and the end of each day, I give all my people what I call a success stack. So at the beginning of their day, they are realigning themselves with their passion and their purpose. They are, they are, why are they here? What are they, what do they intend to get out of today? What do they tend, intend to contribute to today and to others? And then we do something very similar of an evening where we do the, the life in review or the day in review. And through that process, the, the passion is not separated. It's actually invigorated because now we can consciously choose to take ourselves and what lights us up into our role, into our work, into uh, into our daily practice, because we've given conscious attention to it in the morning as well as the evening. So we start to build a compounding effect on a day-to-day -day basis that really, you know, it, it does it does fill us more completely rather than living these separate lives. I go to work, I'm some person, and I come home and I'm a different person. And then on weekends, I'm a third person altogether, <laughs> whatever it may be. Yeah. Right. 
Right, right. You have your, uh, I'm a home person, my work person, and then my uh, with my friends person. And that's pretty hard to keep you know, juggling all those three. I think some of the best uh, people that I like to be around seem to be you know, pretty clear across all of them or even not just the exact same person through through all three of them, right? That they're, they're that aligned to everything that they're doing. Yeah, but I think a lot of people kind of lack confidence and clarity to make you know decisions. And maybe they fear that they're going to make mistakes. Uh, maybe they fear how they're going to be perceived by others. What, what sort of advice do you have for people that are maybe struggling there? Yeah, I, I hear this a lot too. So with those budding leaders, even with leaders, you know, around confidence. Confidence is always always a lack of deep clarity in in uh, in what you want to experience as an outcome so when we're not confident we tend to feel well i don't have all the all the answers i the, the picture is not complete you know and inside of that then we can start to lace in you know any beliefs that we may have that have been running us as a program from our past you know, every time that I share something, it's it's never validated or heard or acted upon. You know, uh, so therefore I'm not going to do that in the future. I'm just going to stay quiet. Um, you you have a significant potential, which is why you are exactly where you are. And the way that I view it is that there is an inflow and an outflow. So the inflow is of in, inspiration, new ideas, creativity, innovation that meets you as a lightning strike. As an example, now what you do with that is then you turn that around and it becomes the outflow and you share that in whatever way aligns with your passion and your values. It could be in written narrative, it could be orally, or it could be, you know, through music or anything else. But sharing actually tops you up and it, it strings, like a set of pearls on a necklace, it strings the last couple of uh, questions and answers that you and I have discussed already together as part of leadership. So when you are supremely clear on your end and you step in and observe yourself in the end result, whether it's a, a career upgrade or a career shift, whether it's a pay rise or you know benefits or whatever it's going to be, then you can start to crystallize a new outcome for yourself. And as you do that repeatedly, consistently and frequently, day in, day out, reminding yourself of, of why you're here, and what what decisions you want to make today then your confidence actually grows because you have made a commitment to yourself and you are keeping that commitment to yourself which is why most people at the beginning of the year have those new year's resolutions and within <laughs> the first six to eight weeks it's uh it's in the it's either down the toilet or in the trash bin and uh, they've got the same confidence they entered into the agreement with uh, right. at the end of it and they run run the rest of the year like that yeah, this is why I avoid the gym in January. Um, you know. Yeah, watch everyone else. <laughs> place is packed. One of the things that I've always done is I've had pretty good success with hiring people for their personality, for their potential, over maybe, I guess, certain skills they've learned or maybe their long resume. I mean, not always been successful bringing in someone who's had an incredible resume and is very expensive and, you know, to do all these things, but instead somebody who has this incredible, you know, potential that has the right personality and can can learn and 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 figure it out has a real drive for it. You know, is that the best strategy, or is there something else we got to be thinking about in getting the best sort of ROI for the the performance of the people that we do bring in? Yeah, very good, very good. 
Look, I mean, there, there's so many um, surveys and assessment uh, protocol that, that we can engage and learn from, learn our, about ourselves and also about our, uh, yeah, our prospects or even our peers and candidates for a new role. And they give us vital information. However, you know, the, the age of, of the gut feeling is really emerging more and more as, uh, as a conscious directive in leadership now. So intuition, you know, for some is still a dirty word. It's still flaky and woo-woo. So intuition um, can be expressed through the questions that you're asking your, uh, your applicant. You know what really excites them what adds what adds value and meaning to their life and in in so doing what uh how will that translate and transpose into the company you know where are their where are their gaps where are their shortfalls you know what is their level of awareness so when i hire i always hire on a perceived level of awareness are they aware of themselves their their foibles their their challenges their creative um genius zone um, are they aware of themselves in groups of other people? Are they aware of their own space? Are they aware of their own narrative? What's the program that they're running when they're actually talking to you? You know, are they aware of their body language? So they don't have to be perfect in all of these, uh, all these levels. However, awareness drives behavior. And if we can have someone that is aware and, and therefore can pivot when required, then behavior can change just like our identities. And therefore, we can direct them as the leader um, towards a, a stronger ROI. And there's two levels, re return on investment, but there's also return on impact as well. So those, those people that have greater awareness, uh, in my view, tend to carry greater weight uh, in contribution to the direction and flow of the business. I guess, you know, I, I've only known a few good people that can really uh, understand their gut feelings and it, and, and it works really well, right? That they're able to, to, to meet someone and go through that process and that their gut reactions are, are, are very in line with, I guess, sort of reality. Cause you know, my, my, my primary business, which is background checks, we're pretty much in business because people are so bad at their gut reactions. Mm -hmm. They're so bad at understanding who that person is in front of them. Uh, I often say, you know, trust is great. And if you feel like they're a good person, that's great, but you should go back and validate that um, mm -hmm. with us through assessments. That's through screening them. Uh, you know, there's a very thin line between an incredible salesperson and a criminal. Uh, they both can talk you into a lot of really good things. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, so, you know, do you, do you see it the same way? I mean, do we, did, do you have to be a really have a high level of EQ to be able to sort of execute on that gut reaction? You know, because I'm a little afraid the average leader out there is still pretty bad at that. They still are misreading with all of the cognitive biases and all the things that are going on and as busy as we get that they could be putting themselves in a position if they over rely on their gut. Yeah, yeah, great, great stuff. And, and the EQ, yeah, is, is very, very much uh, underutilized and underdeveloped in, in, in pretty much, you know, most industries and, uh, and most uh, career pursuits. So, so from that perspective, if you were to do a blindfold study, and this can be trained and it can be practiced, you know, because nothing is ever mastered without practice. So when we first see a candidate come in, we're actually looking at how they're dressed, you know, have they got eye contact, what do they sound like, all these sorts of things. And that is in addition to what we've already read and maybe reviewed about their, uh, their, their resume. 
But if you were to do a blindfold test and you were just to ask them questions and then feel your way through it without the narrative of what would the board say, what would my peers say, what would um, what would mum say sitting at home on the couch watching daytime TV as an example, you know, so we, we are now opening ourselves to uh, a greater level of information because the eyes deceive us and the uh, and but our nervous system tell gives us lots of information when we're able to settle that down and this brings up another narrative altogether another conversation about you know wiring ourselves for for genius wiring ourselves for success because a lot of people walk into a role and they're already stressed they're already neurally and nervous system wise overburdened and they're living in survival so if I don't make this decision right then I'm going to wear uh, and, and reap the uh, not the benefits of it you know the repercussions yeah. from there so, so yeah so it is, it is about trying something new the gut is not an anomaly the intuition is not an anomaly and when it comes down to it it is uh, straight up straight down the line are you willing to try something different and cultivate that uh, in order to find better talent especially with the you know the emerging youngsters that are really our new economy and they are fully connection-based individuals Mm-hmm. Yeah, and for me, it's always worked pretty well. I'm not been 100% successful, but usually generally successful. If I'm very clear about what I want that person to be able to do and make me feel and, and the skills that they should be able to have and their, what their abilities should be. And I can, I can create an avatar. I can write that down, right? I can articulate that to myself and to my team about what that right person is. And then we go and interview people. And when we get down, you often find some people that you really like, but you know, when I have made a bad hire, I realized even though I liked them, even though everything about them seemed right, when I compared it to my initial list that I made before ever talking to them, they didn't, they, they were, they were, they fell short of that list. Yeah. And I was sort of, you know, being taken by how well they spoke or how well they dressed or, or other sort of things, I guess, in that cognitive bias called the halo effect, right? Sort of, mm. you know, mis- misplaced through my what looked right. Um, as opposed to, and I've had people that just, you know, like they cannot be the right person, but then on paper, they had everything I wrote down. And when I hired them, they did a fantastic job, you know, but so for me, it's about really thinking about it before I start the process. Is that a good strategy or do you have something else that you think people should think about doing? Well, Chris, I think that's a great start. Really, really good. Because remember the, we have two hemispheres in our brain but we also have two hemispheres all the way through our body and our nervous system so if you can entertain and get very very clear on that avatar as you were just mentioning then 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 it actually gives your reticular activating system something to look out for to recognize Mm -hmm. because you're you're actually you know producing the results in your brain ahead of time by writing it down and being clear on it whereas on the other side as long as we're not polarizing ourselves and uh, and the and the situation by saying it must be one way or the other then when you meet that person you will have a gut reaction you will there will be something that will either say we'll give this a go and to trust that let's go in slowly or there are some gaps and i need to ask some more questions but leaders that are afraid to feel uh, are often afraid to fail right yeah they're sort of avoiding and, and not wanting to deal with all of that well, we're almost out of time here. I want to make sure we ask you our uh, two uh, quick questions. Uh, and I'm sure with as much travel as you had, you maybe have had a book in your hand. Is there a book that you're currently reading you might share with us? 
Yeah, it's uh, it's an esoteric series actually. It's uh, it's a six volume set, and it's called uh, Teachings of the Masters of the Far East by um, by William T. Bard. Uh, very very interesting. They're written in the uh, late uh, 1800s, early 1900s, published. But very very interesting, and we can you know I, I garner a lot of lessons from how they surrender themselves and, and their trust in, in their capabilities and really their interaction with their environment and tribe and communities. It's very and interesting. This is, this is why we ask this question. We get such varied responses, and I love them all. And it's great for our uh, community of listeners to to have different types of books for the, to go back and consider reading. So instead of just the, the average business book. Um, most importantly, before we run out of time here, how can people get a hold of you? How can they find out more about you? Well, straight up, just go to my website, Matthew Patty, M-A-T-T-H-E-W-P-F-P-E-T-A-T-T-I.com, and uh, just scroll down to the first half, and you'll see that there's, you know, a, a free exercise there that I'm giving away. It's called my famous tennis ball technique. So it's it's a it's a technique to help prime your subconscious for success. And I've had so many emails and comments about that from people around the world. So definitely go and get that. Or you can find me on all the uh, all the socials, so LinkedIn, um, Facebook, and Instagram as well, uh, Matthew C. Paddy. Well, fantastic. Thank you so much, Matthew, for being on the show. Really appreciate it, and I look forward to having you uh, back at some point to give us an update on all the great stuff that you're doing. Thanks, Chris. I, I, I love your work, and it's great to be here. Fantastic. All right, our next live show will be March 10th. I'll have... Uh, Two special guests in the studio at the same time. We're going to do a little bit of a different format than what we normally do uh, because they're both from the same company. I'm going to bring in Ken Iden, Vice President of Strategic Business Initiatives and the CEO of IDIQ, Scott Herman. And so we'll talk to them together about what they're doing, culture, and everything else. But until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2.